1: Good morning, this is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. New developments to a story we told you about yesterday. Crews have closed off streets this morning in the areas surrounding Echo Park Lake in Los Angeles, as the city moves forward with plans to clear a large homeless encampment there. This follows a loud, hours-long protest last night, where at times, demonstrators clashed with hundreds of LAPD officers who were deployed to the park. The LAPD says one person was arrested for failing to comply with an officer's orders. Police said there were no injuries and denied reports that they used tear gas. Multiple reporters and demonstrators said there were physical confrontations. The demonstrators and several community groups argue that clearing the homeless from the area is inhumane, especially during the pandemic. The city says so many homeless have settled in Echo Park that conditions have become squalid. The city also says it will do everything possible to move displaced homeless individuals to temporary shelters and motels. Yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom nominated Assemblymember Rob Bonta from the East Bay to replace newly confirmed Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra as California's next Attorney General. As KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports, the pick
0: and the place it was announced were historic. To make his big announcement, Newsom chose the site of a former single-room occupancy hotel in San Francisco's Chinatown. In the 1970s, the I Hotel was the focus of a fierce battle against the eviction of low-income residents. Assemblyman Bonta, who was born in the Philippines, noted a family connection to that epic struggle. And 45 years ago, my mother, Cynthia, was one of those courageous activists who stood outside the International Hotel, linked arms and formed a circle to protect those who are inside from being evicted. Governor Newsom noted that both of Bonta's parents instilled in him a strong appreciation for civil rights. Across the spectrum, not just on criminal justice issues, but racial justice issues, issues related to immigration, issues related to rights of migrants and asylum seekers, Rob Bonta has been front and center. Bonta has represented Oakland, Alameda, and San Leandro in the state assembly since 2012. On criminal justice reform, he's authored bills to eliminate the use of private prisons and to strengthen police oversight. If confirmed by the state legislature, a near certainty, Bonta will become the state's first Filipino-American attorney general. But he said he'll resist calls to seek stiffer penalties for people accused of violence against Asian Americans. I've heard people say that there's a hate crime, let's issue the death penalty that's not the place to go for me. We have enough enhancements, enough mass incarceration, enough over-sentencing. That will cheer criminal justice advocates who supported him for the job, but it might not sit well with local district attorneys and victims' rights groups. Nonetheless, Bada insisted he'll work with them. I will have those conversations with law enforcement. They will have my respect. Um, we will have dialogue. And uh, we will also have respectful disagreements and that's okay. That's part of how we move important policy forward. After filling out the rest of Becerra's term, Bonta will need to run for a full four-year term next year. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in San Francisco.
1: Last week, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. If passed by the Senate, and that's a big if, the bill could give legal status to roughly half a million farm workers in California. KQED Central Valley correspondent Alex Hall has our story.
2: In a citrus orchard west of Fresno, Joni Garrillo quickly clips mandarins from a branch and drops them into a large canvas bag strapped to his waist. Other workers climb ladders to reach higher fruit and make conversation between the treetops. Carrillo says throughout the pandemic, he and the other workers couldn't shelter at home. Who does the work? he asks. We do. He says he's worked on U.S. farms without legal status for five years. Another man says he's worked in the country for 18. It's not just in California, he says. In every state, you see immigrant farm workers. Under the Farm Workforce Bill, Carrillo and others employed in agriculture for at least six months over the past two years could be eligible for work permits. And if they've done this work, unauthorized, for years, as roughly half of the country's farm workers have, they could get a green card if they continue in the industry.
3: H.R. 1603, a bill to amend the Immigration and Nationality
2: Act. Last week, House members debated and ultimately passed the bill. Speaking on the House floor, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren pointed out how, throughout the pandemic, Americans were still able to find food at the grocery store. And for that, we need to thank the farmers of this country, but we also need to thank the farm workers of this country, a majority of whom are undocumented, a majority of whom have been here more than 10 years. But some representatives argued that the bill would only encourage more migrants to come to the U.S. Here's Republican Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia.
1: Now we have a piece of legislation that says just come work on a farm and we're gonna give you amnesty. 1.5 million people are gonna become citizens for working
2: minimal time on farms. In fact, only people already working in agriculture would qualify for legal status. The bill would also require all ag employers to adopt E-Verify, a system for checking authorization to work in the U.S. Some Republicans support the bill. Congressman David Valadeo represents California's 21st District, not far from the Citrus Grove where Carrillo was hired. He's working to bring Republican senators on board.
1: There's a lot of states with Republican senators that have a lot of ag. You've got Florida, you've got South Carolina, you've got North Carolina.
2: Valadeo says the bill is good for growers in that it reworks the H-2A guest worker visa program, long criticized as expensive and burdensome. And he hopes the Senate can make it even more business friendly.
1: Especially when you come to smaller farms, they don't have the ability to hire the office personnel needed to get through the regulatory process of hiring H-2A folks. We have to make sure it's something that functions for our farmers. And so the whole H-2A component, they do modernize it a little bit in this bill. Uh, I don't believe it goes far enough, and I hope that in the Senate that there is uh, some Republicans that will help make that more uh, doable for, for our farming community.
2: Many, although not all, farm labor and business groups back the bill. The American Farm Bureau Federation is one exception, raising concerns that it won't allow enough guest workers for year-round jobs like those in the dairy industry. For Pat Recuti, a third-generation farmer in the Central Valley, the bill makes sense because it allows growers to legalize their existing workforce.
1: It eliminates the fear for uh, them to not have a workforce. They want to do the right thing for their workers. And, uh, We depend on each other. We work side by side. Uh, I would not have them do something that I wouldn't do myself.
2: Democratic Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado and Republican Mike Crapo of Idaho are expected to introduce a companion bill in the Senate soon. They'll need at least nine other GOP senators to avoid a filibuster and move the bill forward. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to Osh's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at Osh.com.
4: Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul?
1: For decades, single-family home neighborhoods have been synonymous with the American and California dream. But those neighborhoods were also creations of historically racist zoning laws that also encouraged sprawl. Now, a handful of California cities are taking on the sanctity of the suburban-style single-family home neighborhood and encouraging smaller, multifamily residences. With a closer look at this, here's KQED's Aaron
3: Baldessari.
5: Real estate developer, Kevin Kasagian, is standing in the middle of a grassy lot near Sacramento's downtown.
3: You'll kind of see from here the, the, the wood gate and uh, we did some landscaping in the back there.
5: When he bought the property, there was already a single family home there that had been converted into a duplex. Kasagian is thinking even bigger.
3: It's going to be a, uh, a multifamily property with four units, uh, two studios on the ground floor, And then upstairs are two large one-bedroom units.
5: He says this kind of thing is happening a lot in Sacramento, as more people search for housing that's affordable.
3: What we've seen is an influx of people from San Francisco, the surrounding San Francisco area, Bay Area, and then even L.A. and down south. It's kind of exploding.
5: Mixing small multifamily buildings among single-family homes is something that could happen a lot more. Thanks to a draft plan, the Sacramento City Council approved in January to eventually allow fourplexes in all of its residential neighborhoods. I was just really excited. Bridget Driller is paying close attention. The issue of housing affordability,
2: it impacts almost everyone in California.
5: Driller is 30, and she's a renter. Homeownership, she says, feels impossible. But that hasn't stopped her from spending a lot of time on the real estate website Zillow. Looking at different lives that I could live. But she says there aren't a lot of options out there for her. There are a lot of single-family homes, which I don't really want. What I would love to see is more of that middle category of apartment complexes that are affordable. Not everyone is as excited as Driller. Maggie Coulter lives in a mostly single-family neighborhood in Sacramento.
2: A lot of houses in this neighborhood were built in the 40s, they're small. The lots are about 5,000 square feet.
5: She moved to the neighborhood in the 80s. Coulter is afraid that if this draft proposal becomes the rule, her neighborhood would soon become unrecognizable.
2: There have been a lot of houses flipped in this neighborhood. But if this if this general plan was approved, they could be flipped to accommodate six units. It's going to take 10, 20 years for anyone to really notice that there are you know, duplexes and triplexes in neighborhoods that didn't used to have them before.
5: David Garcia, a housing researcher at the University of California in Berkeley, says policies like this are part of a long-term strategy to make housing more affordable. In 2019, both Minneapolis and Oregon approved multifamily buildings in most residential neighborhoods.
2: There's a real need in high-cost cities to explore where we can build new homes, and that includes looking at single-family homes, which for decades have been sacrosanct.
5: Beyond driving up the cost of housing, Many studies have shown restricting development has led to racial segregation. Congress passed the Fair Housing Act in 1968, which explicitly prohibited racial segregation in housing. And the backlash was huge. In an attempt to keep neighborhoods white, cities across the country banned multifamily dwellings in neighborhoods where previously they were allowed. Garcia says multi-unit buildings tended to be occupied by people of color and recent immigrants.
2: They're really reckoning with the racist and exclusionary nature of some of these single-family-only policies.
5: In many cities, seeing single-family homes side-by-side with small apartment buildings and duplexes isn't new. In that Sacramento neighborhood where Kevin Kasagian wants to build a fourplex, there are cottage apartments next to small single-family homes and large two-story bungalows.
3: As we're talking about neighborhoods and feel and personal connection and like mixing uses, this block is oddly very emblematic of what's going on, right?
5: In the real estate market here?
3: Hot, hot. I mean, you cannot get a better area than this.
5: And if Sacramento and other cities have their way, there will be a lot more neighborhoods like it across the country. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari in Sacramento state
1: lawmakers have introduced a new bill that would increase income taxes for wealthier californians the bill would add an additional two percent tax on income over a million dollars it's intended to address income inequality and help the state recover from the costs associated with the covid 19 pandemic bay area assembly member alex lee is a co-sponsor he says the pandemic's aftermath could have a long-term negative impact on the state's general fund and working families
2: The road to recovery for our working class families will be difficult.
1: Lee added that in 2020, the richest Californians profited while record numbers of low-income people relied on unemployment. The Bay Area Council, a regional business advocacy group, opposes the proposal, saying it will lead to more people leaving the state. And that's the California Report for Thursday, March 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere, and College Futures Foundation, supporting KQED special broadcasts from college campuses and other higher education reporting. Learn more at collegefutures.org.
5: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
4: Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years?